Welcome. The parish is a church community in Alpharetta, Georgia, practicing the way of Jesus for the sake of others. Talks like these are just one part of how we gather to be deeply reshaped by Jesus. So we invite you to join us any Sunday morning for a full church gathering. You can find more information or contact us by visiting our website at parishanglican.org. Chris is going to read us uh, from Colossians chapter 2 and 3, our scripture reading for the day, and then we'll jump into the sermon from there. My counsel for you is simple and straightforward. Just go ahead with what you've been given. You receive Christ Jesus, the Master. Now live him. You're deeply rooted in him. You're well constructed upon him. You know your way around the faith. Now do what you've been taught. School's out, quit studying the subject and start living it. And let your living spill over into thanksgiving. Entering into this fullness is not something you figure out or achieve. It is not a matter of being circumcised or keeping the long list of laws. No, you're already in, insiders, through what Christ has already gone through for you, destroying the power of sin. Going under the water was a burial of your old life. Coming up out of it was a resurrection, God raising you from the dead as he did Christ. When you were stuck in your old sin-dead life, you were incapable of responding to God. God brought you alive right along with Christ. Since you died with Christ to the way the world thinks and acts, why do you submit to the rules and regulations as though you were living in the world? Since you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Do not lie or be false with one another, seeing that you have stripped off the old self with its practices and have clothed yourselves with the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge according to the image of its creator. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of Lord Jesus giving thanks to God the Father through him, the word of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Chris. I'm calling you Radio Voice Chris from now on. That was fantastic. Oh, thank you for leading us in that way. All right, everybody. Well, we have spent much of this last year going through this big enough story, and uh, we've spent a lot of time just talking about what is the story of scripture, what is the story of God, and ultimately I want to just take a moment and bring us back to why are we doing this? Why are we walking through these five acts of scripture and asking ourselves what the story of God is? And ultimately the reason is because we are trying to build uh, what is called a catechism for our faith, the, uh, a parish uh, homegrown understanding of what is this Christian life all about? You know, a catechism simply means a, a teaching or a way of understanding what the faith is. And as we looked around in our community, both for our teenagers, uh, our kids, and, and then for uh, um, the adults as well, there was this question of like, how do we speak to the question, what does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean to follow Jesus? And what is this great story of scripture? And how do we see ourselves in it? And what is the Christian life and how do we live it? And so that's why we've been walking through this story. And as we've done so, we keep returning to this great prevailing theme that shows up over and over and over in the various acts of the story. And the theme is this, that there are, in light of what God is doing in the world, two ways of being in the world. 
There is the way of the false self. There is the way of the Christ self. And that, there's that, that falling self that is myself at the center of the story. This is the old day, the old way, the old humanity. It is what we are intended to leave in the tomb as Jesus rises out of the tomb. And then there is this new way of being, that in light of uh, the resurrection of God, the victory of God, we are invited to walk in a new sort of way, a new life, that we are being restored into the image of God. And that's what this Christian life is all about. And so last week we looked at the, uh, the false self, and we've been sitting with this idea of the false self, which in Easter time just feels important to sit with, what are the old ways I'm being invited to leave behind in the light of the resurrection of Jesus? And uh, so we're pulling from the, the work of Dr. Robert Mulholland, and he has this fantastic book on the false self that I'm gonna uh, just kind of riff on in a handful of ways today. But he describes the false self as fearful, defensive, possessive, protective, manipulative, indulgent, distinction-making, and destructive. And uh, I think the reality is if we all survey our lives, we see many, many places where that false self pops up in any number of ways uh, all the time, all the time. And then, of course, we are all this way to one another as well, and so it's not a surprise that we see the implications of that shattering the world. And then Christ rises and we are invited to leave this old way behind. It no longer belongs in the light of what God is doing. We are invited into a better way of living. And so what Paul says in Colossians 3, uh, 9 and 10, is he says, do not lie, which is in Greek is pseudomai, uh, which means to be false with one another. Stop living out of that false self because you've stripped off that old self with its practices. You've clothed yourself in the new self, and that new self is being renewed according to the image of its creator. In other words, the more time we spend in this life, the more we are becoming reformed into the image of God, which is what we were made in and that all people have been made in in the first place. So we're coming home to ourselves. We're coming home to the way we were intended to live, not as fearful, manipulative, destructive people, but instead as trusting, hopeful, generous, uh, kind, caring, forgiving people. And so that is this journey that we are on. And so we've been asking, how is the Christ self born in us? How is that true self born in us? The better way. And we started last week exploring this pattern that Paul repeats over and over in his letters, and we see it in what uh, Chris just read in Colossians 2 and 3, but he repeats the same sequence in a handful of other places, namely Romans chapter 5 and 6. And uh, the pattern is simply this, that since you died with Christ, and then he goes on a few verses later, he says, since you were raised with Christ. And then he says, put off therefore, and then he says, put on therefore. In other words, we as followers of Jesus participate in the death of Jesus, and because of that, then we get to participate in the resurrection life of Jesus. As a result of that, there are certain things in the way I show up to the world that are no longer congruent with this new life I've been invited into. And so I get to put those off and the new ways begin to organically bloom from within inside as God's spirit leads us into newness of life. And so this pattern is both the pattern of the overall Christian life, it's also the pattern in any particular place where I find that I need growth 
growth in wholeness or in holiness or in living more like the way Jesus intends for me to live, we're going to find these sorts of dynamics and patterns are playing out in that. In other words, we are always being invited into the Easter story, into a story of death and resurrection and into newness of life. That is at the heart of what it means to be a Christian. And so the pattern starts with death. And we talked about this last week. What does it mean when Paul says that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? And we sat with that in depth last week, just the uncomfortable reality of what does it mean to engage in something that we are so hardwired to avoid at all costs. And so it feels like the first step in the sequence is that for the false self to die, for the Christ self to rise, the false self has to encounter the death of Jesus in some meaningful way. And we try so hard to not let anything that feels like dying happen to us, but it is actually the necessary prerequisite to all that comes next in the pattern. And so, Then we move to the second step in the sequence, and that's what we'll sit with today, the second step that since you have been raised with Christ, and so because it is true that the false self has this opportunity to encounter the death of Jesus, to let the old self go, which feels like dying and indeed is a form of dying. It is letting go of everything I understand about how I'm going to make it and survive in the world, letting that go, and instead then we have this encounter with the life of Jesus, with the love of Jesus. We are not only dying with Christ, we are being raised with Christ. And so, to the extent that the false self does not believe that God is both loving and living, then it will continue to dominate our life. For the false self to recede, it has to have an encounter with the life and love of God. And we'll get into why that is true. But the, the place I want to start with is this. We talk about the false self. We name all these characteristics up on the, the board there. And it can almost seem like what we're saying is that the false self is bad, that the false self is evil. But my sense is less that the false self is evil and more that the false self is terrified. It's terrified because it's trying to make it in a world where it is as of yet unconvinced that there is a God who is living and a God who is loving. And if I am living in that world and there is no one to protect me, then I am not safe and I am at stake all the time. I'm going to be in survival mode all the time. I'm going to live as a cornered animal all the time. And so of course I'm gonna be manipulative. Of course I'm gonna be defensive. Of course I'm going to promote myself over and against others because who else is going to defend me? Who else is going to promote me? And this is how we live in the world. And so, you know, in the midst of this, there is this good news spoken over us that God is alive and God speaks the word of belovedness over us. And this is what we have to deeply receive. But it feels like often what actually happens instead is we come to faith, we hear the message of this good news, we receive it as a form of mental assent, but we don't actually experience it transformationally in any way. And the challenge there is that what we've ended up doing is actually just adding a religious layer of insulation around that false self. And uh, we still continue to live uh, about, about me at the center of everything. I think often the gospel, if we really sit with it, strikes us as too good to be true. 
It's just too good to be true that I am loved and that God is with me, really, really. And so while I may say yes to the God uh, story in theory, often, and I noticed this in myself this morning as Keely was leading us through the prayer exercise, often we live as such that everything actually still depends on me. I still have to make everything happen because I don't really trust that God is living, which is to say that he is here for me in a meaningful way, or that God is loving, which is to say that he is for me in any kind of meaningful way. And so if the false self is ever going to be healed and saved, it has to have this encounter with a better word, a better love spoken over it. And it has to not only believe that intellectually, but interiorly. It has to get into us. It has to get into our practices. It has to get into the way that we relate to one another, the way we show up to life. This may happen, uh, or this may begin overnight, but it does not happen overnight. It is not accomplished overnight. This is what we're describing here. It is a partnership and the journey of a lifetime. It's what Paul means when he says that we are being renewed day by day into this image. We keep showing up to this over and over. It is a process of what we call spiritual formation. And so we are being formed into the image of Christ, and each day we cooperate with God to live from that good news, and slowly, but more and more and more, I am being transformed to believe and live in a better world where it does not always depend on me all of the time. And so ultimately, that formation into the image of Christ does not come from our want to or from our willpower. It comes from God's great love. And what at least I have found doesn't seem to work very well is denying or despising or setting out to destroy this false self, this self-reliant false self, to, and to do so by using the tools of the self-reliant false self, right? That's what we usually try to do. I'm going to, using the tools of the false self, get rid of the false self. It doesn't work. And this is why, and hear me on this, this is why a Christianity that is built on moral conformity or doctrinal purity tends to always breed legalism and hypocrisy. Because if I am drawn into this story and I think that I have to make this story happen, then I am going to actually be driven deeper into the false self. And it's not that these things don't matter. Morality matters. Behavior matters. Doctrine and orthodoxy matters. But trusting in my own ability to navigate those things only drives me deeper into forms of self-reliance. And as long as that self-reliance seems to be working, now I've become self-righteous. And if that self-reliance is not working, now I feel self-loathing. But either way, I've still made it all about myself. And I'm living this story that is a God story as if it is a me story. And so instead, we do better to cry out to God, oh God, like I have this place in my life that is in deep pain, and I do not believe the good story, and I need you to save me because I cannot save myself. I need you to do what I ultimately cannot do, Show me that I am loved so that I can let go of trying to make everything happen. It is only when we can do that that we are able to release some of those lesser ways that are dominated by the false self. 
Because now we're in a position to encounter something other than ourselves. Rather than trying to make the Christian life happen, we open up to God and say, God, I need you to do something. Finally, we've moved outside the resources of myself. We've moved to the resources of God's love coming to us to do what we cannot do. And more and more, we begin to experience a God-soaked world where I am saved because God is a savior, not because I did something the right way. And so what we're getting at here is something that is central to the story of Christianity, uh, to, central to the story of God's good news. And again, I'm riffing on Mulholland here. The utterly self-referenced false self is incapable of coming to God because everything about it needs itself to be at the center of the story. And so it cannot come to God. It cannot get out of the center. I can't get out of my own way. And I think many of us experience this in life, this kind of besetting frustration. I just keep experiencing the same thing that I'm tripping over time and time and time again. And this is a profound problem that we in our own resources have no solution to. But God does. And the story here is that in the false self, which is incapable of coming to God, instead God comes to us. He comes to us in the false self and mysteriously and miraculously offers us his self in our self. He offers his life to us in our life. Look at how Romans 5 puts it. He says, while we were still weak, at the right moment, Christ died for ungodly people. That doesn't mean people who are evil. It means people who, who are trying to make it in a world without a loving and living God. Right? But God shows us his love for us because while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ died for us. In other words, God comes to the places where we are not godly, precisely where we are most stuck in a failing pattern. That is where God comes to us. The places I am most unlike Jesus is the place Jesus comes to us. It's where he sets out the feast Keeley was describing. It's where he says, I've come right there in that place to work a death and resurrection process in you because that's the only way the story ever gets healed. It doesn't get healed by just trying harder. It gets healed by something having to die and recede and then something new being given, something more whole being given instead. And this is not a process we can control, but it is a process we get to cooperate with. It's a process we also can choose not to cooperate with and resist. And so our part is to say yes to this, to try to get our heads around how do I work with Jesus as he goes about the reformation of my heart. And so finally, I want to just offer us this thought, which is that if the false self is indeed fearful— if it is indeed deceptive and defensive and protective and possessive, and then, while it is all those things, it experiences great capital L love, great love, then the false self's role increasingly becomes redundant because it is trying to do something that it cannot do very well and God does much better. And so it no longer has to keep trying to do all of those things because the love of God has already done those things. In other words, I don't need to defend myself so long as I'm convinced I have a defender. I don't need to make things happen so long as I trust that I actually live in God's good world. And so we find God saying, even that place in your heart, even that fear, 
Even that, that place that is manipulative, that place that is angry and contemptuous, I have good news to speak to you right there too. And to the extent that I can become more and more rooted in the fact that I am deeply loved, the false self's job in that place is no longer required, and so it can recede into the light of a better love. This is what Jesus means when he says anyone who wants to save his life will lose it, but anyone who loses his life because of Christ will find it. This is what Paul means when he says we are crucified with Christ. We no longer live, but Christ has come to life in us. And for Paul, this is central. He uses this phrase, in Christ. What does it mean to live in Christ? He uses that phrase 153 times in his letters. It's just central to his understanding of what this whole story is all about. And so for today, I want to just say this, that Jesus really wants to change our lives. Uh, Not just change our eternal future and not just change what we believe about religious matters. He wants to change our lives in deep ways. And so that anxiety and that fear and that anger and that betrayal that you cannot forgive and that control that you cannot release and that wound you cannot stop reacting out of and that addiction and despair that feels like it's consuming, wherever it is that your false self is showing up, It is right there that Jesus comes to knock on the door of the heart and say, may I give you a fresh revelation of how deeply you are loved. That once you know you are loved, that false self might slip into the garden tomb with Jesus and die with Christ and something more whole rises in its place. And this too, of course, is a process. It happens layer by layer. It's rarely instantaneous. But instead, more often, we offer our lives to God through practices, through cooperating with God, through prayer, through making space, through reflection, through therapy, through counseling, through spiritual direction. These are our ways of cooperating, and over time, God shapes us. And so we die with Christ we are raised with Christ. In Pentecost, we'll return to this pattern and we're gonna look at how the promised Holy Spirit helps us to then respond to that reality. If indeed we have like, engaged this death and resurrection reality, then there are ways that we need to put off and there are new ways we get to put on. And the Holy Spirit is the way in which we uh, are invited to do that. And so we'll explore that in Pentecost. But for now, I wanna just end with... Uh, asking us to just hold out in our own hearts this question about Easter life, about death and resurrection, and about the false self. And just, I want to invite you one more time into reflecting where God's love might have better news for you. Let's think about that for a moment. God, I just pray that this week as we go through our ordinary days, 
and both the joys and frustrations of living, that in meaningful ways we would hear you knocking on the door of our heart, that we would sense that, and that we would notice it, and that we would just simply ask the question, where does your love have something better to say about this than the false world that I've become so deeply rooted in? And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.